Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. I don't know, how many of you guys in this room, you guys are stockings type people. Like you have stockings in your house right now. One, two, okay, there you go. Yeah, we can be honest, all right? It's not a shame. Now, how many of you guys have stockings that are over 10 years old? How about that? Oh, 15 years old? 20 years old. We have any 20 year old? Okay. Let's just let's go to the big number. Do you guys have any that are over 40 years old in the room right now? 50 years old? Oh man, okay, good, good. So that's incredible. So I was reading about stockings. I don't know if you guys know the history of stockings, but really what ends up happening is in the third century, if you know this story, there was a family. Uh, there's three daughters in this family, and they Quite honestly, they, they didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot of money. And so in that time period, if you didn't have a lot of money, it was a lot harder for you to get married. It was just a, a different, different society. And the story tells us, tradition tells us, that uh, St. Nicholas came down the chimney of this, these people's houses and he put some coins and stuff in, in their stockings and that's where we get it. Now, I was to be honest, stockings are different now, okay? Like in my stocking, I get oranges, okay? I don't even know how that happens. I don't wanna look at me. I want a burger. I don't need an orange, if you know what I'm saying. And so, um, and, uh, so some of you guys, you, you have different things. You have different places. You have different people on, on your mantle or on your fireplace with your stockings. But these are, these are the ones that come from, from our house. And I wonder, just in your own life, if some of you guys may be a little bit petty, and so you should have a bunch of people on your stocking, but right now you're angry at them, so you're not putting them up this year, okay? So you're, you're forgetting the Christmas spirit, and you're just, you're just showing them by not uh, putting their name on, on your mantle. I don't, I don't know if that's you or not, but man, stockings are, they're a really cool part of, of the Christmas season. And, and I brought these up here because realistically, we've been in a series the last couple weeks called Begat, and the idea behind that is we were walking through the genealogy of Jesus and the people that are in his family line. And again, if we're honest in this room, there might be people in our family line that we wouldn't really acknowledge all that much, right? There might be people in your line that you wouldn't really think too much about or people that you really kind of want to push out. In first century Christianity, or really in the time of Jesus, and in that time period, what you did and where you came from were completely connected. Like your family, your mom and your dad, that was connected to where you were going to go in life. Like it could affect your vocation. It could affect who you marry. And so your past and your history really, really mattered. And in thinking about this, that really hasn't changed all that much. A lot of us in this room, we live to try to get past our past. We live to try to get away from our history and the stories that are in our life. And so we're gonna go to the next slide here, Aaron, but one thing that I notice in, in our lives and in our stories is that people want to escape their history. They wanna get away from the history that they've had. They wanna get away from that family line. Maybe you have somebody in your family that was, was an alcoholic, or, or maybe you have somebody in your family that was like a criminal, and like, you don't like to acknowledge that, so you try to escape that history. This is why some of us, we wanna get away from it, so we move away, and we wanna we get away from where we, where we come from. Some of us, we like to edit our history. We like to leave out little spots about what happened in our life. We like to kind of make ourselves look cleaner than we are, right? Do you, you guys know those people that wanna, they wanna show off a little bit more? And then, honestly, a lot of us in this room, we try to earn our history. 
that our, our, our mothers and our fathers were great people or, or they had these big shadows that we stand in. And so we want to earn that name. We want to earn who, who they were. We want that for our own life. And we see this all the time on social media, people just always self-promoting themselves and, and talking about how great they are. This is, this is trying to earn your history. And I think what's powerful about the genealogy is the fact that Jesus can redeem our history. And that's the point of the genealogy, is that you're gonna see a lot of names that are pretty crazy, but in your own life, I need you to hear that Jesus came to redeem your history. Wherever you came from, whatever you've done, no matter what's happened in your life, Jesus can look at it and say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna change this. We're gonna fix this if you, if you give it to him. And so today, in the genealogy, Matthew chapter one, we're gonna read just a couple of verses and I'll talk about a couple of different people out of this story. Is everyone with me right now? All right, the first person I wanna talk about is it's Jacob. It's the, the story of Jacob. You guys might have heard the story of Jacob. There's Jacob and there's Esau, right? And these are two brothers that are at war with each other at all times. And Jacob is probably the least liked person in the Old Testament, right? He, he's not a very loved person. And he's actually called a deceiver because if you look at his life, that's what he does. He's always tricking people. He's always lying. He's always trying to get a, himself ahead in some, in some way. The, the Bible tells us that he, with his brother, he tricked his brother Esau out of the birthright, out of the blessing that he had, right? You, you know this story in Genesis. The Bible tells us that Esau comes home really, really hungry, and he comes home after a big, long hunt, and he's, he just wants something to eat. And, and Jacob's there, and Jacob could provide him something to eat, but he says, hey, before I give you this, here's what I need from you. I need your birthright. And Esau said, I'm so hungry, I'll give you my inheritance. I'll give you everything that I have. All right, and to us in this room, it makes no sense. To a fat guy like me, it makes a ton of sense, all right? When I'm hungry, I'll give you anything I have to get just something in, in my mouth, and so that's, that's part of their story, right? This is Jacob and Esau, but you keep going farther. Jacob and Esau, they, they start to, they get a little bit of frustration there because he stole his birthright, and so Jacob leaves because he's scared of Esau, that Esau's gonna, Esau's gonna kill him or Esau's gonna hurt him. And so he leaves and he goes to his uncle Laban's house. And, and weird, kind of um, Stillwater, Oklahoma type story, uh, Jacob falls in love with his cousin, okay? Don't know, is that right, wrong, right, don't know, okay? He falls in love with his cousin and, and the story goes in beautiful, by the way, irony, that Laban says, hey, you can marry her, but I need seven years of work out of you. And so he works for seven years. And then, and again, beautiful irony, he tricks them. Laban tricks Jacob and makes him work some more. And he finally, gets the, he finally gets the woman of his dreams. And the Bible tells him that God says, hey, Jacob, it's time to go home. You've been running your whole life. Jacob, why are you always fighting? Jacob, why, why can't you be peaceful? Why do you have to keep pushing forward? Why do you have to keep trying to get your own agenda to go, well, Jacob, wh why is this who you are? And God says, it's time for you to go home. And so Jacob, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go. And he starts to head home. And the Bible tells us that he's nervous about his brother Esau. Because you remember, he stole his birthright. He's scared that Esau's gonna kill him. He's scared that Esau's going to destroy his life, take all of his kids, take his, he's scared of all of that. The Bible tells us that Jacob shows up in this one area. And I, we have some scriptures that, Aaron, if you'll put the first one up there. The Bible tells us that they, 
Jacob finds himself in one spot. He sends his wife, he sends his kids ahead of him. And Genesis 32, verse six says this, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, the one who's angry at you. And he said, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. So, so Jacob's sitting here in this moment and he sees this army. He knows that army's coming after him. And so he's scared. And the next verse says, Jacob thought, I'll try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. Again, this is another version of Jacob just trying to swindle his way in, trying to trick his way in. Well, if I do this, if I just put my best foot forward, if I just make this happen for myself, then maybe we'll be okay. Verse 21 says this, so the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. It's important to know that this, this happens at night, that Jacob's all alone at night. And the next verse is the most famous story probably about Jacob. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and he wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Story tells us that they wrestled all night long. This man, who we know as probably a Christophany, we know this as, as God himself. Verse 32, or 32, verse 25 says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's what? He touched his hip and he wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I'm not gonna let you go unless you bless me. He says, what's your name? The man asked, and he replied, my name's Jacob. And this is beautiful here, here's the blessing. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you fought with God and with man and you have won. So if you're gonna look at your family tree, like, I want you to think about Jesus' life, the perfect begotten son of, of God. If you look at his life, I don't know if we would really wanna put him up on our mantle. I don't know if we'd set a stocking out for him if he was in my family line. The story tells us that Jacob wrestles with God all night long and into the day until the man of God says, hey, I, I'm done here. Can we be done with this? And Jacob grabs a hold of him and says, no, 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 no. You're not going anywhere until you bless me. It's a, a very poetic and powerful story here. But it's a reminder why Jacob is in the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus. It's a reminder because all of us in this room, we've tried to get ahead ourselves, right? All of us in this room, we've tried to make our own path. We've tried to do things to get, like, if you're honest in this room, in some part of your life, you, you, you've been willing to maybe undercut somebody to get a little bit farther in life. You've been willing to be a deceiver in life. The story of Jacob and why he's in the genealogy is a reminder that Jacob, you know what he did? He wrestled with Esau for a blessing. He wrestled with his father Isaac for a blessing. He wrestled with Laban for a blessing. He wrestled with everyone he could to get his own way until he came face to face with God on high. And when he came face to face with God on high, that's where the real fight happened. Maybe today you're in that place. Maybe this morning you've been wrestling with God for years. Maybe you've asked God for something. You say, where are you at, God? You promised me you were going to do this. You promised this was gonna happen and yet nothing, nothing happened. Maybe you're in that place. This is a good place because that's where Jacob was and yet God took a hold of him. He said, hey, I'm gonna change your name. 
You're not going to be the deceiver anymore. You're going to be Israel. You're going to be the conduit for my gospel, my kingdom to go forward in the world around you. Look right here. I want you to hear this today. Maybe in your own life you've been wrestling with God. Maybe in your own life you've been pushing against God. What I want you to hear, Jacob, he wrestled all night long. He endured. He kept going. Even when it got tough. He kept pushing forward, even when it wasn't the right thing, or even when he felt like it wasn't the right thing to do, at night when it felt the darkest, and yet he still got the blessing. When you wrestle with God, and you endure with God, and you hold on to God, there is a blessing coming in your life. Don't give up. Keep pushing, and keep fighting. He changed his name, and he changed his destiny. Jacob is in the genealogy to remind us that the things that you really want, they're worth the struggle sometimes. Keep pushing forward with the Lord, amen? Can we go to the next one, you guys still with me? Number two, we're gonna go to Judah and Tamar. These are the outsiders. These are the outsiders. Maybe you felt like an outsider in your own life. I'm just gonna be completely honest with you. I was, years and years ago, I was invited to go to a rodeo, okay? Now, not that thing you go dancing, that's gone, but uh, I was invited to go to a rodeo. And I'm just gonna be honest, you look at me and you think, man, he's a cowboy, I know. But that's, it's not my life, okay? Is that, I hope that's not a shocker. I'm not, I'm not necessarily a cowboy, I'm a gangster, but I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a cowboy, right? And so I felt like an outsider in that place. I don't, they're talking about all these bulls, and I, honestly, I don't even know what a bull is versus a cow. I don't know any of that stuff, all right? So I just, it's not, it's not my thing. And so, so it felt like an outsider. The story of Judah and Tamar, if you're gonna really look at the genealogy of Jesus, these are the two that you would leave completely out of the story, okay? I can see Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. I can see him a little bit. But Judah and Tamar, that is a scandalous story. A broken story, a story that is not something that we would tell our kids about, and yet I'm gonna tell you right now. Here's how the story, here's how the story goes. We can go to the next verse. It's incredible how, how this goes. Genesis 38, verse six. In the course of time, Judah, who was Jacob's son, arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, by the way, great name, to marry a young woman named Tamar. Let's go to the next verse. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, and so the Lord took his Tamar's married to this, the oldest of Judah's sons, and he, he's an evil man, and God just takes his life from him. Verse 38, then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. This, this is just Old Testament uh, law, but if, if the older brother died, the next in line would get to, get to marry her, okay? I, I, I'm, praise the Lord, that's not still a law today. Um, but she marries Onan, and Onan's a bad person as well, and he ends up dying. And Judah has one last son, a younger son, but he's too young to marry. And so in that time period, Tamar, at that point, there's really no other options for her. In that time period, in that civilization, in antiquity, she would either become a slave or a prostitute. This is Judah's daughter-in-law, and there's nowhere for her to go. And so she leaves and she goes off. What's interesting in the story is Judah himself, he goes off as well. His wife just dies and he goes off to another, to another land. Again, this is a very scandalous story. This is days of our lives, if that's still a thing. Um, my mom was in the guiding light, if you're a soap opera person, sickening. Uh, but that's what she was about. And so 
this is right out of a, a soap opera. Judah goes into this land and he drinks a little too much. He's mourning the, the death of his wife and he sees this young woman on the side of the road and he thinks, I, I, I like her. And not to get graphic, but they, uh, they get together and this young woman becomes pregnant. The problem with the story is the young woman was Tamar, his daughter-in-law. She gets pregnant and she leaves. She knew, she knew what she did. Three months down the line, she comes back to the land where Judah's at. Judah finds out that she's pregnant. And in that time period, that was a big no-no for her. And so they said, hey, gather everyone up and let's kill her. She sinned against our family. She sinned against God. We gotta kill her now. Again, a scandalous story. And then God reveals to Judah, hey, that woman you wanna kill, that's the mother of your child. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. You wouldn't want that in your genealogy. You wouldn't want that in your family line. And yet, we see it in the story of Jesus and in his genealogy in Matthew chapter one. The Bible tells us that Tamar gives birth to two twins, one named Perez who ends up in the, in the genealogy. And I think the reason why Tamar and Judah end up on the, on the stockings, the reason why we put them up there, is not because of their horrible decisions they made. It's because it's a reminder to you and to me that God's not afraid of your messy life. You, you get that? Like God, God's not afraid of the things that you've done. God's not looking at you saying, hey, hey, if you wouldn't have done that, then I could use you. But because you did that, you're out right now. That's, that's not who our God is. In fact, realistically, God deals with the messiest people the most. That God's not afraid of the sin and the mire in your life. He's just wanting you to give it up to him so that he can do something different through you. Judah and Tamar, in a bad situation they still ended up in the lineage of Jesus to remind us that outsiders can be brought in. That even though you in this room, I don't care who we are, there are no perfect people in this room. We can look nice, we can look clean, we can look sweet, but God doesn't specialize in clean, nice people. He specializes in people who say, hey, I don't got it together. I don't have it together here, but I know that I serve a God of grace and mercy, and there's no sin that I could ever commit that has more power than that cross, that if Jesus said, it is finished, then it is finished in my own life. Let me, let, me, let me keep it a little bit. Let me go a little farther. First Timothy, Aaron, I think it's in, in, that, in that verse right here. First Timothy says this. This is Paul talking. He says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Real fast, Paul persecuted the church. Paul was sitting there when Stephen was murdered. I don't think if we're gonna go through the list of sins in this room, we're probably on the level of Paul. He did some wicked things. And he said, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it. You, you can't save yourself. You're not good enough. But because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. And now he has made all of this plain to us by appearing to Jesus, our savior. Right here, I want you to hear this. He broke the power of death and he illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. The good news is this. If you're sitting in those chairs today, you say, man, I've screwed up. Man, I, I did things I didn't wanna do. I've hurt people. 
been in bad relationships. I keep messing up, I keep screwing it up. I told God I wasn't gonna do it anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep falling back to that, but I keep falling back to it. The hope of that scripture today is that we have a God of good grace that takes care of you and covers your sins. That your mess, though it's messy, if you give it up to God, will help you clean all of that up. I, I just, I know we're tired. I know it's right before Christmas. Can you give a little bit of praise to a God who looks at your situation and says, I will still help you out. I will still move in your life. You're not too messy for God. You didn't save yourself. You can't out yourself. Jesus has you in his hands. Don't walk out of those doors today with the guilt of your past. Walk out of those doors today with the promise of your future. Can we go to the third one? Are you guys still with me right now? I promise you, I'm gonna make it to Mazda's for you. Last one here. It's the story of David, a man after God's own heart. David's probably the most popular person in all of the Bible, right? At least in the Old Testament. David, a mighty hero that when the armies of the Philistines were coming against the armies of the Israelites, Goliath stands there tall above everyone else and is mocking the God of Israel. And the Bible tells us that the Israelites were afraid of him. And yet David runs right towards Goliath. What a hero he is. The Bible tells us that he's an incredible musician. He wrote so many of the Psalms that we still read today. He would play music in such a way that demons would be cast out of people. He was an incredible king as well. He, he followed after King Saul. King Saul, one of his main military missions was to conquer the city of Jerusalem, and Saul never could. When David came in, the first thing he did was conquer Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel. It was a beautiful, beautiful story. But you know what? David ends up in this genealogy as well. I think, I don't know if we have the scripture on that or not, Aaron, but it says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We love David. We look up to David. But it almost feels like in this story, David's name has kind of an asterisk next to it. You ever felt that way in your own life? That your name has an asterisk next to it? That people have kind of wrote you off? because something you did? Like David did incredible things. He conquered Goliath and Jerusalem. But he's known by Bathsheba. Even in the genealogy, they remind him, and you know the story, right? What happened? We have some scripture that we're gonna show on that. 2 Samuel 11, verse one says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, he was a king, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. He was supposed to go with his boys. What did he do? He stayed. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Just parentheses, ladies, bring that inside, okay? That helps everyone, all right? Does that make sense? Just help us out there, bring that bad boy inside. The woman was very beautiful, just like my wife. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she's purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Again, that's not the text message you want, right? She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon and the Lord loved him. Here's the story. David sees Bathsheba 
falls in love with her. What the king wants, he gets. She becomes pregnant, and he, he doesn't know what to do. So he goes and gets, he asks the generals to go get her husband. Commits adultery with her, go get her husband and bring him home. Maybe they can sleep together, and all this will be cleared away. It'll be easy. Uriah, he, he had integrity, and so he said, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. My men, are, my men are at war. That's where I should be. I'm, I'm not going to do that. He led by example. And so you know how the story goes. David gets a piece of paper. He writes on it to the general, hey, put your eye at the front of the lines so that he'll be killed first. This is the crazy part of the story. He rolls it up and gives it to Uriah, tells him to take that to his general. Uriah's literally taking his death sentence with him on the way back to the army. The story goes that Uriah dies. Bathsheba has this baby, and it's a scandal everywhere. Your name ever been a scandal? We live in a small town, right? People's names become scandals. You're on Gossip Central, right? We, we, we see those things. You see, you see all this stuff. You, you ever felt that way? You ever felt like your name again was, had an asterisk next to it? Like, hey, that, that's Matt, but you guys know what he did, right? You, you know those people? Well, that's Matt, but he, he was in this, that's, that's what it felt like. And yet the Bible tells us that David and Bathsheba are in the lineage incredible. Why? I want to tell you that. Because it's a reminder to us that your bad decisions don't disqualify you from the usage of God. We've all made bad decisions. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. And yet, in this story, God redeemed his bad decisions. can Can I tell you, I've been in ministry for 10 years now, and over and over and over, I can get up here and scream at you and yell at you and tell you how God wants to do things in your life, but I promise you, I wish you could sit in the offices and watch it happen. There's so many stories in this room of seeing God take things that were meant for evil and turn them into good. And even my wife's up here talking in the middle of, of worship and talking about why this Christmas, I'm gonna be honest, this is kind of gonna be a tough one right here. These, this is Ellen Paxton. And I, I, we're not gonna wake up with them. It wasn't a decision we made. It was something that happened. But I'm gonna tell you this today. Even these situations, I believe if we submit them to God and say, God, my heart's broken. God, I don't know why you did this. God, I don't know the point in all this. God can maybe not give me the answer, but he can say, I'm gonna take what was meant for evil and I can turn it for your good, that I can redeem even those bad moments in your life. That's the God that we serve, that looks at a David and Bathsheba and says, hey, I know you screwed it up. I know you messed up, but get this. I have grace for your screw-ups. I know what you've done and yet I still want you in my life. God doesn't want to redo in your life. Can, look right here. I want you to personalize this. God's not looking to give you away. God's not looking at you saying, man, I wish I had do-overs with this person. God loves you today and he wants to use your life to show his infinite glory to the people all around this church and all around this community. And if you believe that, come on, give God one more shout of praise this morning. I wish I had my notes, because I don't think any of this was in it. Um, <laughs> Dave and Bathsheba make their way into this genealogy. It's a good reminder to you and I that when we feel like we're out, Jesus brings us back in. I love Matthew chapter one, verse 18. It says, this, this is right after the genealogy. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And this broken world, 
this broken world of adultery, this broken world of murder, this broken world of lying and deception. And this world is where Jesus was born. And this world is where he was made. But I think it's incredible and important for you to note today the whole point of the genealogy that I see is those whom the world writes off, Jesus writes in. You're grafted in. You're brought in. You're not too dirty. You're not too messed up. For God's love and his usage of your life. I want, I want to think about this for a second. From the end of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to the beginning of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, there's about 400 years there of complete silence and darkness. Oh, real fast, if you don't mind, I want us to imagine what that feels like. If, if we could, we're gonna, we're gonna feel that moment for a second. 400 years of silence, 400 years of darkness without a word from the Lord. Maybe today that's where you're at. Maybe today that's where your life is. That it feels dark and it feels silent. That it feels messed up. It feels like it can't be put back together. Maybe that's what you feel. And guess what? And we get to celebrate next week the fact that the Bible reminds us that God had a plan for you and I. That God had a purpose for you and I. That in the darkness that we're around right now, John chapter one says, a great light shines through. Can I tell you the truth today? God's light always breaks through the darkness. Does the world feel dark around you right now? Does it feel like if you watch the news, there's always something bad happening, that something's always broken, or something's going bad, or the government's messed up, or there's war, and there's all these things? Here's what the reminder to us is, is that Jesus came to this earth to be with you and I, that his light breaks through your darkness, that his light breaks through the world's darkness, that he has a plan, and he hasn't forgotten us. Church, can you understand that there's a day where he will call his bride back to him, and we will laugh at these times, and remember that God had something more planned for us. If you would, let's, let's put those lights back up real fast. Here's what I want you to hear today. God will break through your darkness in this room. And today, if you don't know him, the Bible tells us that, that we're living in spiritual darkness. With everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, just for this moment, I'm gonna finish it up here. Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we can be saved. Let me just tell you the gospel. The gospel tells us that you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You're not good enough. Because you came to church every single Sunday doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Because you, because you, you tithe doesn't mean you're going to heaven. The Bible tells us that God wants our hearts he wants our innermost beings. And he wants us to surrender those to him. And here's the beautiful part of it all. When we surrender to him, it's so much better for us. Jesus went to the cross and he died on it for you and for me. Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to personalize it to say God with me. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit to the world 
And right now in your heart, if you're feeling that little touch, like, man, I need to get right with the Lord, that's, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, hey, it's time to give your life to him. I won't lie to you, it's not, it's not the easy life, but it's the life that counts the most. So if you want to receive Jesus today, I'm going to pray a prayer. You can pray it after me, however you want to do it. Here's the prayer. Father God, today we ask that you would just forgive our sins, forgive our mistakes. God, I, I know you died on a cross. I know you were raised from the dead. And so with that, I believe you're saving me. And I might not even understand all these words, but I know you know my heart. I give you my life. I give you my will. I give you my emotions. It's yours. I thank you for eternal life. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.